Welcome, welcome everyone. This is your Monday Chet and Chill. This is a, a steady pace ride. We're going to keep at one and a half to two watts per kilogram. So let me just text the uh, riders here very quickly. Letting everybody know that we are live on Facebook Zwift Live by ODZ. We are also live on Mixer, Twitch, YouTube, and Discord. Best text here. All right, welcome everyone. So we have a uh, special guest today. I'm very, very, very excited to have with us today Tom Danielson. You probably have heard of Tom. He is a former pro cyclist who rode for the UCI Pro Team Cannondale and also Discovery Channel, among other teams. Has had a brilliant career. He's also a found the founder and head coach of Cinch Cycling. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure to have you. Um, so could we then start by talking a little bit about how you started in cycling? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, I uh, started in cycling uh, with uh, motocross. I got into riding dirt bikes when I was, when I was little and um, got super passionate about that and my parents thought that was a little bit too dangerous for me to do so they put the kibosh on that and and i got into uh i looked at the next closest thing and that was um two wheels with with Tommy tires but uh, mountain bike so i i raced mountain bikes as a kid and was super good at that um it was like the first thing hey, that i was Tom Sorry to interrupt you for Sorry. a second. You're you're a little bit soft. Maybe we can uh, adjust the volume on our end. Let me check here. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Okay, I was was uh, was it was like the first thing I was good at in my life. So, um, I got excited about that. Really uh, driven about mountain biking, and, and um, it was really cool. I was this this young young guy who who you know wasn't very good at ball sports and then all of a sudden I found something that you know I was people were paying attention to me with so I I, I became focused and you know, I was probably 14 years old and it was really a sport that I could combine you know my love for being outside with um, you know pushing hard and working hard training every single day um, I just loved I loved being um, able to put in hard work and see progress. So even at, at, even at a young age, we were talking about this, this yesterday, you know, I fell in love with the process of training when I was you know, 14 years old. I, I wow. lived in Connecticut, it was winters as before school. Um, and I would just go out and train in you know, these really bad conditions. My hands would go numb, my face would be numb. And I did it day day in day out. I just loved, I loved the sacrifice, um, and, and that's really how I found cycling. I went to Fort Lewis College in Franco, Colorado. Um, my parents made me go to college, and 
you know, it was there that I found road cycling. Um, and then, you know, from, from there, I made the transition, and, and that was really where my my career in cycling launched was, you know, I was able to use my my uh, light body weight with, with having a, a bigger engine, um, and then my my passion for, for training and the daily process, and, and the two came together, and um, was pretty good at road cycling. So wow, started pretty early, um, and then once you became a pro, what is what what's um, what's the best thing about being a world tour pro cyclist? And did it become less fun? Did cycling become less fun um, after you became a pro? Or if there's anything that sort of is not as fun as when you before you became a pro. No, no. I when I became a pro, what I loved the most about cycling was the process, and I think it just justified it. Like, I could do it, mm-hmm. but I got paid to do it. And one of our friends and I were talking last night, and it's like a lot of the really good, successful racers are the ones that you know just are obsessed with the daily training routine, and they love day in day out making no sacrifices. So. For me, cycling became more fun because I, I was able to travel the world, ride all these different locations, meet different people, see different races, um, different cultures. Like it, it became more fun, and, you know, the, just simply because it was a, was a job didn't changing. I think there was you know heavier ups and downs, but it was just the better I got, the better. I could the harder I could train, and I just loved, uh, again, the, the training routine. It was cool. I lived in Spain half the year, and, you know, such a great place for training. Um, amazing roads, amazing culture, great food, um, a lot of really cool people that live there. So, you know, being a pro was like the dream from that end. So much great, great training mm-hmm. and, and amazing places sure what are some of the things that um, let's say are hard about being a pro that you us from the outside might not realize I think the hardest thing about being a pro is just the, the daily commitment and the, and the pressure I think that people um don't maybe don't maybe don't understand the the pressure of of being you know you have to perform that that people are watching that your sponsors are watching. Um, it sounds simple at first. It's like oh well you're getting paid, but I mean as most of you guys know, we're human beings and to be able to be consistent perform at a high level every day. And when you're a pro, like you're, whether you're racing or not racing. It's just as hard to get that consistent. You know, like you might target a race, team says this is your objective, and you put everything into it, it doesn't work out. But there's that pressure that you have to, you have to perform it. Seem to think still that there's a an equation that equals great performance. You know what you do work, and then 
you don't do the work, or you rest, and then, then you perform well, and, and that's just not how it works, right? There's so many other, there's so many other factors, and I think that's in that's in, uh, something that people don't know. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a great point uh, about having to perform and having that pressure because, like you said, we're human beings in human bodies, right? Um, and sometimes it's not only about getting our bodies ready, but also our minds ready. But some days are just not how we plan them to be. Um, I see that in training. So, um, Tom, I got a comment that your mic is in and out a little bit. I don't know if you're... My mic is what? Going in and out. I guess if you were perhaps uh, speak close to your microphone there, that should be okay. okay. Thank you. So, Tom, you are just an amazing climber. You're known for climbing. So what did you do to become such an amazing climber? I, honestly, someone told me I was a good climber, and that was enough. I was little, I would go up these hills, and people would just say, oh, you're a good climber. And that was enough for me to believe that I was a good climber. You know, I, I didn't really know it at first. I think that that goes a long way where you tell someone that they're good at something and encourage them, then they actually can find that path and move themselves. And for me, that was that was one person that said, hey, you're a good climber, and, and that's what converted all for me. Is I lived in Connecticut, there was really short climbs, and that I told myself I was a good climber living in Connecticut. And you know, I would go and, and race all across the country as a junior. A big big races on big mountains like in California and I believed I was a good climber going into them. And uh and that was all I needed was just to believe. So today, you know, fast forward to being a good good coach and you know, it's really about looking at things that make people good climbers besides power to weight ratio and um and telling people what to look for and, and how to encourage them. Because there's Eight thousand ways to go up climbs. You don't need to have a good power to weight ratio. You don't have to look a certain way. You can it can be everything from your style of riding, your the zones that you build, um, to how you pace yourself. There's so many uh, components to being a good climber. So that's important. Really believing in yourself and, and then learning how to do what you want to do. On the that's very interesting because I've heard so many times people say, oh, I'm never going to be a good climber because I'm too tall or I'm too heavy or my part of weight is not the number that it should be. And so what you said there is interesting because it's, it's, uh, it essentially says, no, that's not true, right? You can, you can be a good climber. Anyone can be because there's so many different weights. Um, so yeah, speaking like, of training... Bike yeah. in the camo jersey. He's climbing mean, just right past everyone. You know, he the equipment for it. <laughs> sure. So, speaking of training, then, Tom, you uh, started cinch cycling. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. What is cinch and what made you decide to start it? Well, yeah, cinch cycling started in, in sort of a weird um, 
weird way, you know, I was still raped and had something horrible happen to me and lost my lost my career um, for a state <clears throat> that wasn't uh, something I had control over and um, I went from you know all these dreams and aspirations to being left at the side of the road with, with nothing so I made a choice I had to, I had two choices I had one to you know give up and, and move on in my life and for something that you know I, I wanted to still be involved in cycling I love cycling I didn't didn't do anything wrong and I wasn't a bad person people were saying I was and I wanted to still be involved in cycling at, at the level that you know I, I wanted that I that I could be so I made a choice to stay in sport, and I always loved helping other people. That was my one of the things that I loved the most about being a professional cyclist was the day being able to meet people and inspire people and uh, change their lives. You know, at the time I thought riding past the hills was a great way to, to change people's lives by motivating them, and then I later learned that people wanted to learn what they could do, like how their training could be here or how they could change their riding style. So basically I started a business that was a coaching business, um, which at first I had a hard time with because I felt like most coaching businesses, or at least I heard the name coaching and cycling, and I hated it. Most people <laughs> that said they were coaches, were like, they just gave people training plans. And, and I, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to, involved with people and I want to change, change people by more than just giving them intervals. So mm -hmm. I started cinch cycling with the idea that I was going to take everything that I learned, um, good and bad, from my 15 years in the world tour, simplify it. So that's where cinch comes from, making something simple and giving it to them in millions of different ways to change their lives uh, through cycling. Um, and more specifically looking at them from a performance perspective. So not just about watts and power to weight, but you know, what are the components that go into performance? Well it's you know execution, it's control, strategy, uh, mental component, nutritional components, all these things together. And I did it at a time where I couldn't use my name because there were so many bad things that were said about me. I had to, I had to create something so good that I could go to people and say, this, this is what I do. I do this, this, and this. And I change people's lives with it. And, and that's how it started. I was terrified to go out and speak to people about it. And I did it. I, I, you know, I got out there. That, you know what? This is who I am. This is what I do. What I love to do. Can I help you? <laughs> People were, people were like, yeah, that sounds great. And uh, we, we, we grew quickly, and, and here I am today, you know, living this dream. Um, really proud, really proud of the story behind it. Really proud of the journey. And I, I just love what I do. So, Tom, it's, it's a little bit like the, um, I've got a little bit of feedback. 
it's a little bit like the teacher because sometimes the teacher uh, being at, being being ex- excellent at something doesn't automatically translate into somebody being an amazing ma- uh, teacher, right? In your case, yeah. what I can say because because um, you're my coach now and I have been working with you, it's and even though it's only been a couple of weeks, I can tell that you are just a very talented and an amazing coach. I mean, I, in oh, these few weeks that I have been working with you, I've learned so much. Um, and I also found that in many ways, and this is something that you alluded to already, in many ways, the way that you train your athletes is different than the traditional training plans out there, right? So, so, mm-hmm. and you, so you started talking about it a little bit, but what is your main philosophy in training athletes when you think about their training plans or what you're going to, you know, how you're going to develop your athletes? Well, it really starts with why and, and basically why are they training? Why, why are they? Um, and you can specifically ask people that and they usually give you great answers. And also I, I like to watch, I like to listen a lot, I love to listen to what people say. And I start to construct a, a process around them, around their why, and incorporate their perspective, which is their life. You know, how does what they're doing fit into their life? So everyone has a different perspective. You know, whether they're they're a mom, or they have a job, or they don't have a job, or you know, they have these obligations, they have these constraints and opportunities around them putting those two together and then building a process to help them get to where they want to go. But the cool thing is, is that where they want to go, where they can go. So also educating them along the way about the process and about what they're doing and, and what they're capable of and helping them see things that they couldn't see before where they were going. So a lot of times you'll have people that come in with one objective and they're involved so much more. And then what I love to do is bring it around and say, you know, these things that you're achieving and accomplishing and feeling and cycling, well, they also will help your life in, in the areas of family as well, um, which, is, which has been a really cool part of the journey for me, seeing the effect of all these great chances and opportunities for personal fulfillment that people get through the program, watching them change their lives off the bike um, has been huge. It's been an incentive for me to even go deeper in, in that area. I, mean, I, I absolutely, absolutely love it. But uh, for me, again, it, it's about that early process and bringing those four components. So for me, focus, which is like the mental component, Fitness, which is the zones, so the strength, uh, efficiency, the things that everyone traditionally talks about. Then execution, which is skills and control, the things that most people don't know anything about, um, and just learn teaching people how to use. I can confess, I'm one of them. Yeah, I had no power idea. Control, yeah. <laughs> power control, zone control, learning which zone 
but where at different times, like when we did this whip race, you know, learning where you could attack, could uh, sit in, and not always playing other people's game, but you know, your own. Um, and then finally, nutrition. And my perspective on nutrition is a little bit different than, than most people is that it doesn't need to be so rich. more about you know, looking at con- certain concepts and applying them everything. So teaching people how to apply the, the uh, concepts at the right time. But, you know, overall, to me, coaching is, it needs a learning experience. Look at all other world, you know, businesses of coaching, especially like business, business coaching or, you know, life personal coaching, even specific sports that our kids are at school coaching. Education is, is a big part of that experience. Um, mm-hmm. People hire coaches because they want to learn. They want to learn a sport. They want to learn a process. People initially come to coaches they want to get stronger, right? But Or they want to perform better. But people are there because they want and they want that experience of learning. So I put a big focus around that and you know, love that. And I think that's an advantage I have for my career that, you know, I have been on all the highs, all the lows, every illness, every injury, every mental situation, every nutritional situation, every, you know, success, failure. Um, there's, there's so much that's in my my head that it's cool that I can really lessons in so many different levels. Um, it's not like, you know, someone gets to one level in cycling, you know, out of the guidebook or read, you know, someone's book to try to answer the questions. It's like, you know, I live that, you know, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Um, right. And I think that's a really cool opportunity that I have. That is a big difference. It really is. Um, what you just said there at the end, the difference between, you know, reading books, learning about training zones, etc., whatever methodology a coach might want to follow, but really having lived and gone through everything that you went through. So, um, yes, I'm very fortunate um, to have this opportunity to work with you. So you touched a little oh, bit you. about <laughs> a, a little bit about training zones. And your training zones are different than, for example, the traditional zones one through five that a lot of people use. Uh, can you explain a little bit how your training zones are different and uh, how they relate to the real world? Yeah, so when I first started um, coaching, I, I, I honestly didn't know about this whole new world of FTP and all these training zones. I had only been immersed in that pro cycling world and no one ever gave me any training zones or anything like that. Um, they would just specifically give me uh, like power to, to go by and whether they calculated on training zones or not, I wasn't sure. But one, one of the things that I like about my experience in in coaches that I've worked with that there was a big disconnect between performance and training. And I love the, the training side of things. So when I was training, I talked about the world and I felt like I was really uh, successful. I was really confident. 
Then I would go to races, but I didn't know how to translate what I was what I was doing in training race, whether I performed well or, or poorly, I didn't really, really put a finger on, you know, well, how does that really relate to how I've been training? So I set out to change that with coaching is I thought, well, I'm going to figure out zones that are, that I use in the race. So learn how to calculate, come up with the, the value of performance. And I had enough experience and, with an education on you know, working with great sports scientists on what zones you needed to use to stimulate progression. But I took on the challenge of, okay, like let's actually use zones that you perform with on climbs and time trials and riding in the Peloton. And let's use those zones in training. And let's use them in a way that they'll correlate between racing and the training. So that is something that I that I do very unique. Is the zones are performance zones. So your training is now the exercise that you do in training might be different, mm-hmm. but um, the way you do them is important. You know, you may be doing them lower level in training. But those zones are specifically what you're going to be using in races. And what ends up happening with that is you have really empowered athletes. They know how to create strategies. And as a coach, I can actually create strategies with them and communicate through that power, which they are very familiar with because they use it in their daily process. So there's no, there's no I call it avoiding pulling a rabbit out of the hat. You know, there, there's no mystery when you get to the races. Um, you right. know your zone, love, and then you know the ways that you can execute it in different scenarios. If you get to a climb and you, you use the right zones in the right way, what drops you? Well, they were better. You know, there's there's no, no no nothing to be down on. You can feel good about yourself. Um, and then if you do use your, execute your zones and, and you win the climb, well, that's awesome. If you did a great job in both ways. It's the same congratulations you'd get from me. Um, and personally, you can feel the same amount of uh, happiness and success within because you you know you've done a good job, you know, and that's what it's about is that personal progress and feeling good about yourself every single day because you gave your best. And this is a way that you actually know that you gave your best, even though there's other people that are tend to influence how you feel. Right. Yeah, so so many good things there. Um, that focus on yourself is something really important. Uh, and so, so talking about the zones and uh, the workouts, for example, that I get from you, you don't have the typical, let's say, sweet spot workout of, I don't know, four by 10 minutes at sweet spot or two by 20, etc. cetera. Um, so you use shorter blocks, I guess, in a way, and a lot of variation within those. So it's a lot of variation in cadence. It's a lot of variation in power, standing, seated. Why is that? Well, I mean, specifically is, again, I'm trying to translate what actually happens in cycling to what you're doing in training. So, you know, the, 
it's kind of funny that some of the techniques that you read about in what other people are doing and what's popular, like the sweet spot. I mean, this this theory has been around for the beginning of time that if you train below your threshold, then you'll raise your threshold. You know, people always say, "Well, push the roof up from the bottom," and you know, I mean. It, it, it's it's just common sense, right? You know, people are like, oh, it's backed by science. You're right. Like, it is backed by science. Like, if you do work below your threshold, you'll raise your threshold. It's, it's you know, but there's a lot of other sciences, a lot of other things that are much higher level. So, you know, I think it's a it's a very, like, training spot, whatever, is a very expensive way to train. These large amounts of, of time, you know, sort of wearing out your body, to achieve a very small result, you know, people are focused on their FTP. Um, you, using this methodology, you spend a lot of energy for a very small return. And as we know, or don't, maybe you don't know, but I know, is, is that your FTP really isn't, your threshold really doesn't do anything. Um, you know, it's it's just a, it's a measurement, it's a test. It's, it's something that people use as a reference to, to try to put a number on fitness. So essentially, people are spending a lot of energy to prove that they have fitness, that their fitness is going up. And again, science says that drain more, this will go up. So again, this is, this is really simple stuff. And, and the thing that also science says is that if you train too much, your fitness will go down. So it's like, how do you figure out the right amount? And that's what all this stuff is, is calculating based on a lot of uh, measurements that I've taken over time, what the right amount of each zone to put in, basically the minimum to get the maximum uh, result. So I start with the, the focus of actually creating goals that are things that you would do in cycling. So whether I saw Christopher and do it on the climb or Valverde or whoever else, or I did it or whatever, you know, to create all these execution things into intervals to make them fun. Um, and then also make them, ed- and then I go in and I put in the right amounts of each zone, and then I use it in the same way that you would use it in a real race or in a real scenario. So one of the big things about cycling, and I'm sure you guys have seen it, whether it's on group rides or Swift or you know in races, that cycling is about clearing lactate, and really that is the number one um, limiter of, of in cycling is your ability to flood yourself with lactate and clear lactate. And what that is is changing changing the rhythm, changing the pace. And, you know, it's not just about always clearing large amounts of lactate. It could be smaller amounts of lactate. But um, And what lactate represents essentially the energy zone that you're using. So if you're using fat as a fuel or if you're using fat and sugar or using all sugar or glycogen, um, you know, that is the big indicator is, you know, or, or the limiter is what energy system you're using at what time. Um, and then with my intervals, the best way to uh, improve is is to you know stimulate these zones in really creative and confusing ways. You know, your body reacts amazing to change. So you know constantly changing the states that your body's in during the ride, um, jumping between different intervals, and then and then playing around with different uh, skills during these these power uh, or these these energy zones. So, you know, for example, in you like high cadence, you can do high cadence for a million different things with a million different powers. So 
you know, changing that, confusing your brain, and then having to hold a, a level of control while you're changing the brains. Um, it just teaches you so much more while you're getting stronger. And like I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's just not enough to always focus on becoming stronger because if that was the case, then everyone would be like horrible halt, right? Because like you'd be performing and you always be getting stronger. It's like, well, where's the limit on that? You know, like, listen guys, like I've been doing like my entire life, you know, like there's no limit for you guys anytime soon. So, you know, you can't be focused on putting more power on a certain testing parameter because that's just not, that's not where your progression can go. Um, you know, another great statement is, you know, the last whatever, six years of my career, um, my power was, my threshold power was the same. So I, I did about 420 watts at threshold and I had 420 watts of threshold and I was in the battle and I had 420 watts of threshold and I was winning off the front by a minute. So it, it didn't matter what my threshold was. It was what I could do all around it is that made the difference of performing or not performing. Right. That makes so much sense, Tom. You know, a couple of things there. So I don't feel as tired or sometimes even useless after a workout anymore like I used to. Um, I just remember working so hard and being so tired from it. It doesn't happen anymore with the workouts uh, that I do with you. The, the workouts that you prescribe are essentially then what the pros use, right? Is what, and like you said, it's not about power because if you think about a pro peloton, chances are everybody has very close bar to weight. So what's going to differentiate somebody who's going to win and somebody who's not going to win, right? So it all makes sense um, to me. And yeah, like you also... A good example of this is the Tour de France. You were to take everyone's power to win going into Tour de France, everyone would be almost um, going into it. And then as you can see during the Tour de France in the evening, there's people that are hours ahead of all they want. And again, right. it's all about that zone of vision, how they've trained and, and their knowledge of how to use their zones in the races. You be the strongest guy in the world, and if you don't have, you know, like you gain these zones that you can fall on, you know, so you do these big efforts, but then where do you land? You need a place to land after the effort. You have to know where it is, how long you can do each zone. You know, that's a big question, right? Everyone's so focused on threshold, 20-minute efforts and all this stuff and it's like what does that even mean when you're in Chicago and you go up a you know two two minute climb and someone watching it what do you do right. the power do you drive yeah. with their 20 minute power or whatever it's just like you know I just don't have that it's like, have that you just don't practice it go you know, learn that stuff go after that um, you know learn how to with the climbing there's 400 million ways that cycling you know like you don't have to follow the traditional, you know, power to weight threshold to be good at cycling. You can write a script however you want for people to be good at cycling, and I think that is the the best thing about cycling because of the mechanics of the bike and there's so many ways in the technology around training. 
there's so many ways to be awesome at it and you improve every day of your life no matter your age and it's that's why it's a sport that's nothing else like right so Tom you mentioned cadence too and how there's a million ways of working with cadence that is something that your athletes focus on quite a bit so what's the importance of cadence can you elaborate on that a little bit yeah, yeah so cadence in my mind is, is very similar to like, you know, whatever the, the RPMs in an engine. And when you're driving your car, you can see that, you know, different RPMs and different gears have a different effect on your, on your car, on your engine when you're, when you're driving. It's the same on the, on the bike is that you can use cadence uh, as a, a building and maintaining or lowering momentum. And as I, you know, made the transition from pro racer to coach, this is something I actually didn't even know that I did or that we did as, as in the races. And I would see these people on these rides and they would just have like one cadence and they would stall out on all the different parts of the road. And I would just look at them and I'd be like, why did you do that? You lost all that speed. And they had no idea. So I started to write things into the workouts to basically try to teach people how to change their cadence. Um, and then I would apply different energy zones to those cadences for two reasons. One, to make them more efficient, but then also to test them and changing the cadence and the right timing. What that does is ways to build free speed. If you apply a different cadence at the right time, it will actually increase your speed, increase your momentum. And this actually works in the virtual world as well. I've messed around with it um, on Zwift, you know, being able to change your gearing and change your cadence um, in the transitions between the, the climbs and things like that um, to help build more momentum. And, you know, another key component of changing the cadence is, you know, lowering your effort level with the same power. So, mm -hmm. you know, basically you build a general way of thinking is that you use a higher cadence to accelerate and you use a lower cadence to maintain speed. So you're always kind of going between those cadence ranges depending on what you're doing out on the bike. So, you know, if you're in a group ride, it's critical to be able to do this because you guys all probably remember or know about the surges, the annoying surges in the group rides. Well, changing your cadence is actually how you deal with the surges. You don't need to sprint, slam on your brakes, sprint, slam on your brakes, you know, keep going back and forth through that. You can actually change simply the gear that you're in and maintain the same power um, and close those gaps without actually changing the zone that you're in and the effort you're in. Um, a good example of this was um, I got Rigoberto Brand's power file. From the Tour de France, it was out on the internet, and I, you know, I, I brought it. I got it for a group. I brought it up, and I showed everyone how he was so steady on all the climbs and through all the um, valleys between, you know, during that stage that he won, and how he stayed in his energy zones. So it was pretty cool. Like 
look dissecting that to the group and, and, and saying, look, like, you know, here's this low threshold, here's these threshold, here's his medium zones. And you could see that he would basically alternate his cadence to stay within those zones no matter what was happening in the race. I mean, they were, you guys were even attacking him on the last climb. And all he was doing was, was going higher and lower cadence, um, which was really cool to, to see and, and to be able to show that to people on a high levels is like, you know, even though the race is, is not being dictated by him, he's able to stay within his zones um, at the front of the race by changing his cadence. So cadence, guys, is enormous. There is not one size fits all cadence. Um, and definitely higher is not better. Fascinating. The workouts do vary a lot in cadence and power. So uh, I can see that uh, being used in in the workouts. You, you mentioned Zwift and how, for example, cadence also translates here in the uh, in the Zwift world. About a week or so ago, almost two weeks ago now, you had uh, you coached me through a Zwift race. So you were watching me and we were talking and you were coaching me through it. What are some of the differences between racing in real life and racing in Zwift that you have observed? Yeah, so, you know, since working with you, I've had to really look much closer at the Zwift world and Zwift racing because, you know, that is, you know, your, one of the big parts of your why and what motivates you is, is you know, this community and, and this uh, new part of cycling that is, you know, really evolving quickly. So for me, I, you know, I started to take a much closer look. And, and what I found is that uh, because of the drafting um, equations that they used, you know, it's, it is very different than outdoors road cycling. And to me, it's very similar to actually climbing. So, you know, even though you're racing on a flat road with um, the way the race works and the way it looks, is is how it would look if you were know, just one you know like I think <clears throat> excuse me your race forty five minutes long it was like one forty five minutes and mm-hmm. you know so when you are drafting you're basically still doing uh, work like you would doing on on climbing and it goes back to what's super important in climbing and, and that is your ability to have all these places to go off of what I call low threshold so low threshold is it's really your, your foundation for a Zwift race. The higher that is, the better you're going to be in the Zwift race. But then being able to do things from that, so accelerations and surges, and that's what we've started playing around with. Is you know, it is hard to drop um, people of similar ability in Zwift. We found out, um, so you you know you have to have that really good platform of, of low threshold, but you know knowing how long and and how hard you can go from that. Um, with that, again, in mind that you're not going to be able to land on something lower than generally your low threshold. It is I, like a climb. If you draw the sword and you, you, you know, cut someone, you know, you go after someone, you, go after kill, uh, you better be, have a place to land afterwards because, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be stuck out there you know, drowning <laughs> with no place to, no place to, to hold yourself up. You know, it's it's crazy. It's very hard in the Zwift world. Like, you know, it is very much like 
climbing and racing on climb. So had to, had to really apply sort of a climbing focus to your training and your execution um, in races. It's and I guess another thing that we learned in the Swift world that I think is important to listen is that um, it's very hard to close gaps for whatever reason. Um, once you get a gap in the Swift world, um, it seems that's the gap. Um, that also is very unlike, um, you know, uh, real world road cycling is that if you have a 15 second gap in the Swift world, um, that gap's probably not going to come back. Um, for whatever reason, the computer makes the gap and then it just kind of stabilizes it or whatever. So it's really important to follow all the attacks because when someone gets ahead, like we saw those two girls that just kind of slipped away in that rolling, rolling section and it was like no matter how hard we to go across on that big climb, you know, we couldn't make any headway our weight ratio was way above theirs, um, and you still weren't making any ground on the on the on the gap. So for sure, it has to be the software. So again, taking into consideration that you know don't let gaps go. It's not going to come back. Right, right. Very interesting. Uh, we have quite a few people here on the right today who race a lot in Zwift. Um, so I'm sure they can they can relate to that. Perhaps they um, haven't thought of it fully that way, but um, from experience. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, shifting gears a little bit, I hear a lot from athletes questions about heart rate, training with heart rate, looking at heart rate. What's your take on that for you know using heart rate in cycling? Um. You know, my my honesty that heart rate is a is an output, not an input. So um, I think it's okay to have heart rate, look at heart rate. Um, but I think it's very difficult to actually use heart rate to you know steer your training. And the main reason for for this, it's just it it varies so much. So, you know, if you're fresh, different by as many as you know, 10, 15 beats per minute. You're tired, it can be lower by a difference of 10, 20, 30, 50 water uh, beats per minute. Um, so, you know, if you're fresh, it, it changes quickly. If you're tired, it changes lower. And it does it in, in these increments that, you know, when I define tired or fresh, it's, it's as simple as taking one rest day or as simple as having three days in a row. So the heart is changing. How it reacts to things, but the body maybe it's not right. Like maybe the body is fresh, maybe the muscles are recovered, maybe the glycogen levels are, are back up. There's a lot of things that aren't limiting training, um, and the heart is still able to perform it at the same level despite being lower because it's fatigued or being higher because it's fresh. So, you know, as a coach or as an athlete, you have to take that in consideration. Okay, well, you know, it is different, but I'm not doing damage in my body. Like I'm training, you know, that is one of the adaptions to train covering, right? So, you know, we stack different days on top of one another because we're teaching our bodies how to become more efficient with refueling, repairing muscle, um, you know, being able to sleep. All these things is, is 
part of the training response that we're looking for. So it's important that we use it, we know that when we're looking at heart rate and from a, you know go back around it, you know that is why I don't really put a lot on heart rate. It usually tells a story that we already know. Um, you know, you have your baselines, you have your zones, you know roughly where things are, but they change. And when they change, we always know the answer. There's very, or there's never a time that your heart rate is low or high and you don't know why. You know, oh wow, it's low. Oh, but I didn't get any sleep last night. Okay, well, we already know that. You know, like, you don't really need anything. You know, right. Well, on that or whatever, it's part of life. We're not going to change, you know, your training that much uh, because of something like that. But if it happens, if it's a pattern that happens over and over, then yes, then we are going to change it. But as soon as it's time to change it, you'll see the performance decline and output, the, the blocks that are coming out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you, you're looking for patterns outside of that, you know, with mood, demeanor, um, you know, feeling. These things are all so much more common than actually the heart rate. So I'd say that the best way to heart rate monitor that probably no one actually does is check your heart rate, resting heart rate every morning. I think that's what the heart rate monitor is most effective for. Um, that tells a story that we might actually not know. Um, right. you know and, and if your body is about to get sick or it's, it's stressed that you're not familiar with, you're going to see it there. You're not going to see it other places. Um, mm-hmm. But very rarely do people still do that. Um, but I'd say that that's what it's for, um, not really dictating uh, inputs. Again, just confirming outputs. Right. Right. I'm, I'm with you on the heart rate. Um, I don't give it as much importance in terms of training and also, the max heart rate that people sometimes obsess over, it's, it's a bit like shoe sizes, right? Everybody has a different number. It's sort of like what your body does. Um, just because my max heart rate is 203 doesn't mean that I'm much more fit than other people, you know? So, yeah, that makes sense to me. So, Tom, shifting gears a little bit on more of the mental side of things and... How much do you think uh, cyclists' performance can be attributed to having good mental skills? Yeah, absolutely enormous. Um, you know, again, we're talking about the, the FTP and the obsession over that. You know, the, the mental skills is more powerful than any of that, and you know, especially in cycling where we're constantly looking for confirmation and an understanding of where we're at all the time. So if you're on a ride, you're looking at yourself for, for ways to either show yourself you're strong or you're not strong. Um, and oftentimes, you know, the more we get, we want to look at ways to, t- to, to uh, tell ourselves that there's something wrong or, you know, we're not good enough. Um, when you're fresh, a lot of times you have that sort of, um, you know, confident state. So you're, <clears throat> you're looking for ways to make yourself feel more confident. Um, the trick is being able to flip those two. Um, when you're fatigued, that you're able to find that confidence that you can be fresh. Um, when you're fresh, to be humble um, and, and sort of have that state uh, of gratitude that, that you have when you're fatigued. So, you know, that is kind of the secret. Um, 
in a nutshell is is meaning change your mental state um, on demand how you want, uh, no matter the physical state that you're under. So you know, a lot of people think that you know, in this, this the way you do that is you just go harder, you um, maybe become tougher, or you, you know, try more. But um, that, that kind of thinking more really like as we all know when you're in that painful state um, and, and you're really in a, a bad place uh, physically you know you just don't think rationally a good example of that is like when I was racing you know it would be raining and cold and we would go back to the car and try to get um, you know gloves and jackets and things like that and the conversations that you would have in the back of the car were just really irrational because you know you're freezing, going super hard, you are losing your mind, um, and I would just be like back in the car thinking like if I don't get those gloves, like I'm not going to live. Like I need those. You know, you'd be screaming at the director, I need those gloves now. Man, if I don't get these gloves, like I'm not going to make it. You know, and you know these guys are going like you know they're driving the car like whatever, 20 miles an hour, just staring at you. Like what are you talking about? Like it's totally fine, you know, and. and you know, and then you'd be like trying to be like, open my bar wrapper. You know, you'd like you think like if I don't get this wrapper open and I don't eat, like I'm not gonna live. Like you know, and you're just completely irrational, screaming, open the wrapper, and you know, trying to get this bar in your mouth. Um, it's totally irrational, and, and it's because that meant that that physical state is overriding the the brain, the brain, and it's just not working right. So be, being able to you know, find ways to regroup and come back to that confident state. And and for me, um, that looks looks like patterns that you build. So, you know, basically words that words and emotions that you uh, visit over and over and over during your training, um, that you start to learn how to best tools and and, and weapons out of the bike. So. For me, some of the important words that I use were, uh, you know, focus, um, low. Uh, one of the words that I like was bounce. So when I when I had um, fresh legs, I had like a bouncy feeling in my my legs. Like when they pull up like in, they bounce from like pedal stroke to pedal stroke. I would like keep repeating that word, and, and as all know, when you're fatigued and you're empty, it's like this crunchy, dull feeling in your legs, like, they're, they just don't bounce, right? They're, like, blocked. I would just say, like, bounce. You know, I visualize bouncing. Um, you know, breathing was another one. A lot of times, like, with my athletes now, I get that that breathing rate back under control. Um, so, so that's really important. Your respiration rate really does control um, your output. Like a lot of times when we start to panic, um, because we think we're going too hard, we, we shorten our respiration rate shallower um, and that tenses our body up so if you're able to slow down your respiration rate by exhaling including exhales um, that sort of resets that physical component your body kind of follows so just little things like that um, that will help you return to that proper mental state where you can start to think more rationally um, often in the moment even though your body is right I love that. It's not. It's not. It's not about telling yourself just toughen up and do it. Yeah, and during the race that you coached me live in Zwift, 
the uh, the breath was something that there was a, a point at the race. It was probably the last five k that I was breathing so heavily, and you brought me back. You you said just focus on your breathing, exhales, long exhales, and that that was a big help um, for sure. Yeah. So it's it's amazing, and, and you know when people start to panic or they get in a tough place, it's just like they immediately fall in myself to that short breathing and what ends up happening is way down. Um, the body temp tenses up, your arms get bendy, and you, you can't get that oxygen to your muscles anymore. Um, so you just got to tell your body, like, look, I'm going to input this rate, and I want you to follow what state, mental and physical, that breathing rate is. Um, it works amazing. I mean, I've been in so many scenarios where you know, I was one kid to go on a climb, panicking, freaking out, wanting to give up, and I just a couple big exhales, regrouped, and, and got it back together. Yeah. So, Tom, we have about two minutes to uh, go here for the ride. I want to make sure that people have uh, the chance to know how to contact you. So if somebody wants to hire you as a coach or wants to look up more information about Cinch, uh, and I'm going to post a link to uh, – oh, Kurt already posted a link here on uh, Facebook, so thank you for that. Oh, thanks, Kurt. Uh, so, Tom, yeah, so so I guess people can go to your website or your Facebook page as well. Yeah, and I, my email is – I mean, email at info – or, excuse me, info at um, And, you know, I, I love chatting and I love people, so I'm not like – not going to send an email and I'm not going to get back. I love uh, the contact part of it. So even if you want to say hi or whatever, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always available. And I really appreciate you joining us today. I think it's been, it's been an eye opener in many ways um, on how people might want to look at their training, some of the things to consider and just drawing from that, vast knowledge that you have all the experience that you have so it's been it's been great Tom thank you so much uh, there are a lot of yeah. other things that I wanted to ask you about but we don't have enough time oh sorry no 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 it's because it's a lot of good answer. stuff yeah but I think for everyone out there you know, a good takeaway you know going in your days and everything is that um, you know we're all here because of it you know cycling is a great sport and and you know your training and your, and your daily riding and routine is important to the other parts of your life so you know definitely you know, respect that understand that um you know it's that ninth hour like that the uh, high performing person um and, and you know look at it like that look at it as an aspect of your life and, and just enjoy the journey don't obsess or focus on you know specific things, just, you know, always be making objectives, always be changing them and always be adapting to, you know, B factors and, and just have fun. You know, that progression and fulfillment is fun. So go out and get it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks everyone for tuning in, joining. See you next time.